hello and welcome to the um, Divorce TV Show live stream. And I've got a guest here today who's what I call the right kind of lawyer, Henry Crisp. Henry is a mediator, qualified as a mediator, also a collaborative lawyer, and uh, one of those lawyers who genuinely would prefer to keep you out of court. So welcome, Henry. Great to thank see you, you here. And, and thank you for making the time to, to be here today. We've got lots of really interesting things to discuss. The first one I would like to start with is you have quite a lot of knowledge about assisted reproduction and artificial insemination um, mm. re relating to divorce. And obviously, this is something that uh, I'm guessing is is growing. Perhaps tell us a little bit about the landscape and why, why, why yes. are you involved in this even in the first place? Well, um, no, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on. So um, this is a growing area. Um, the, and I think there's a couple of reasons for it, really. It's obviously uh, accommodates alternative family structures. Um, and also, uh, I mean, if, if I look at most of my uh, clients, probably the, the, the highest number for assisted reproduction would be uh, lesbian couples uh, who want to have a child and they go through the conception process. And so there is a sort of a framework of law around that, uh, which is sort of 2008 based, um, which tries to categorize you know, their status as parents and what their responsibilities are and navigate the very tricky um, uh, area of you know the, the donor who should have parental responsibility what the financial obligations are and actually more mundane stuff like you know uh, does the child see the donor or is that not intended and so it's it's growing because i think um, people are wanting greater choice in what their family looks like how it's composed and of course you know as we become uh, more liberal, you know, different family structures are more accepted and acceptable, and um, it, it accommodates a whole range of uh, needs in in that area. You so you've got you've got different things all wrapped up here. You you've got the the kind of uh, assisted reproduction, which is actually more often than not something that happens at home via Amazon. You know, it's a very sort of the, the, particularly in the gay and lesbian community, it's a very sort of organic, sort of homespun sort of solution. But we'll come back to that because that, that, that's quite, a, quite important. And then you've got the much more technical side of things, which is either the clinic assisted, um, uh, assisted reproduction, AR or AI, uh, artificial insemination, that side of things. Or, of course, surrogacy which is uh, a fascinating subject um, which involves non you know, potentially non-genetically related material uh, in the form of a, a embryo donation or now you know embryos that are you know, constitutive gametes from two different people or even as you've probably read in paper three sorry Susie, no yes. no don't apologize i'm i just wanted to butt in there um because i was thinking about this the other day so could you have a mother who has a child and then that but the child is not the mother's egg it's a donated egg and 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 the sperm so effectively the birth mother is not genetically 
tied to the child. Yes, yes, you can. In fact, it's very, you can and you do. I think what's what's really interesting, that there's, and I don't know um, how many of your viewers, listeners would be aware of this, but the Law Commission, which is the body that's sort of charged with modernising the law or sort of trying to keep in step with some of these developments has been looking at this area. In fact, was supposed, I think, to produce its report by now and has produced what some very broad recommendations to try and govern exactly those type of, of points and to try and bring the law into some kind of workable uh, modern framework. But it, I have to say it's really struggling. And the recommendations that I've read, the so-called key recommendations, are very broad and not very helpful. You know, they're sort of aspirational, you might say, um, but trying to set a sort of a, a path. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's worth remembering that it, that it was it, it relatively recently became legal. And when it first became legal, it was heterosexual only and then was sort of updated. But it's there's there's a lot of questions and um, and do uh, people know, need to? I mean, obviously, you know, it would seem logical mm. that in because of those complexities that people would sit down and have some form of agreement. Uh, is that what happens in practice, or do they just sort of dive ahead? Well, yeah, again, it's a really good question. So, one of the problems when you've got a sort of a bit of a legal vacuum is that people will find their own solutions and. Commonly, that is to go to jurisdictions where they can get greater purchase, greater certainty on the transaction. Now, and of course, you know, actually, interestingly, as you probably saw in the news, all of us saw that there were a lot of those cases in the Ukraine. Ukraine was one of those jurisdictions that people used a lot, and in fact, there were there were babies born to surrogates unclaimed as a result of the war. So, you know, that's, that gives you an idea of the scale of these things. But anyway, so uh, the problem with the law, I mean, this is a very broad uh, uh, statement, is that it's, really, it's very good at saying what it isn't. So essentially, it's de defining it um, you know, in, the, in the alternative. So the law as it stands only allows for, it does allow for surrogacy, but only so-called altruistic surrogacy and we'll come back to that because that's a fascinating um and probably you know, inaccurate term um the the surrogacy agreement is something that lawyers cannot have anything to do with so um and then what happens is you have what's called parental orders that come after the child has been born and the parental orders are the bit that sorts out the the kind of uh, the, the parentage uh, officially, you might say, at that point. But the, the one of the things the Law Commission is looking at is, first of all, regulating the non-commerciality of surrogacy. So when I say altruistic, people do get paid, but they get paid expenses. But the, I don't, I'm not aware of any cases where the court have ruled ex, ultimately ruled expenses uh, inappropriate. So expenses can be quite loaded um, so it's a, I'm not saying it's a vehicle to get around things, but perhaps people are being a little bit generous to try and you know, try and offset some of the obvious um, problems that surrogates have. But uh, the other uh, issue is the timing of the parental order comes at the end, comes after. In fact, it comes a little bit after because there's a, a short period of time after birth when 
it's deemed inappropriate to, to get the document signed because of perhaps uh, hormonal changes in the birth mother. So, but it does, of course, then create extraordinary uncertainty. And that uncertainty it relates to the, the lack of you know, a governing agreement, a lack of certainty over the commerciality, the nature of the transaction. And then a problem that, well, what if you've gone through the whole thing and the mother changes her mind or changes the terms? So I so find that quite amazing because that, that last yeah. point you've made but what is kind of the obvious one you think of. So if people are, um, if, if say, uh, say, let's say three people have decided to, to do this and they create, yes. maybe they, I wish I would always advise use media, a trained mediator to to discuss all the outcomes. Don't try and do it around the kitchen table or, or it might no. never happen. Um, and then, <laughs> but once you've got that agreement, like if you do that as part of a divorce, uh, financial settlement, you would then get that turned into a legally binding agreement. So are you saying that they can't make it a legally binding agreement prior to actually embarking on this? Um, mm. In this jurisdiction, that's right. You have you have this sort of loose arrangement, really, which is then sorted out at the end of the process with the parental order. That's insane, um, isn't it? Because that alone means that inevitably there's going to be the potential for years of strife and trauma and costs with people arguing later. Mm. Well, it's it, it's it, but it, you know we, we it, it's it, the, the I think the reason why the law commission have kind of bounced off this subject, if you like, I mean that they, they haven't, they're, they're still working on it. But the reason why uh, we don't have probably what we need is because. At the heart of surrogacy lies some issues which are fundamental to the way, as a society, we define ourselves. And it, it's funny, you, you sort through the detail, but you very quickly hit uh, shifts in thinking that would, would be unpalatable politically. You know, and I think that and in this particular case, you've got two fundamental uh, belief systems coming into conflict. The first is obviously the religious, you know, what is a birth and what are the obligations of a parent? And, you know, it's, it's trite to, to observe that all the religions that, that, uh, that I can think of have, have some pretty, um, strong views on that. And therefore the communities will reflect them and, here, the kind of Judeo-Christian tradition is no exception, and our law, you know, references that um, you know, in uh, in, the, I, in its I, history. Ironic, though, a little bit because of the um, you know, Mary and Immaculate Conception concept. It doesn't. It's a little bit of hypocrisy. <laughs> there, think? Yeah, that's very good. So you say so what you're saying is the, the first surrogacy was <laughs> sanctioned. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but yeah. I think that's really interesting you're saying about the, the, the social uh, construct yeah. because do you think that's why it took so long to get um, uh, no fault divorce, which was, was yeah, I, it's, forever it's, 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 because it wasn't it wasn't the lawyers holding that back, was it? It was it was the government yeah, fear was, of yes. you know, upsetting the Daily Mail. I, I was told by one person, um, yeah, no, and also right. you, and that also brings us on to um, LGBT uh, uh, you know, marriage. Finally, they're allowed to get married, but it took mm. long enough to get civil partnerships. Do you think that uh, what people have to understand, it's not 
just that the the law is a sort of fuddy-duddy people who are very slow to act is that they they're up against major social implications for what they do yeah i think i, I think you're absolutely right and i think it's uh, it's incredibly well observed to 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 link that with the no fault divorce because that that was um something that the government did legislate for decades ago actually um and uh they they it, they shelved those provisions and they shelved them primarily because some of the government at the time some elements in the government at the time really felt that it was going too far in terms of traditional core values and um it, it's it's such an interesting thing isn't it where where the law meets uh society um and you know what is the answer because society is um, obviously made up of different you know, just look at the you've got the, the religious voice the secular voice but you've got the progressives and the traditionalists you know you've got every different um groupings and ultimately you've got to try and find something which is a consensus and in that particular case um you know it was felt that it was going too far and i'm sure i well not sure actually i'm just i, I like the sound of what you said about the daily mail but i've actually no information on that at all but it sounds about right to me um but uh, yes and of course with with, with uh, surrogacy you've got and i actually i have some sympathy for them uh susie on this because i have to say i don't know what the answer is either because you know the i think at first blush your reaction is certainly the same as mine and that's oh you know this needs to be ironed out you know there must be a process a civilized humane process that sort of avoids that uncertainty at the end or that uncertainty even during the process of it the problem is you very quickly meet the kind of handmaid's tale type of situation wound for rents you know which is highly objectionable to uh, people um, uh, on the more liberal and or, or progressive liberal who understandably don't want to commoditize the female body in that way and of course the moment you become transactional the moment you turn it into a market the moment you have what all markets want and that's contractual enforceability reliability certainty then there's a there's a cost and that cost comes in the fact that you're locking someone into a transaction which is very personal so that's on the one side of things you know and that tends to be more of a kind of you know in terms of the, the disposition of europe that's a more of a northern european take and in the southern southern europe you tend to have more of a religious objection to you know to the sort of this is no way to regard the 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 the, the, the miracle of birth so i mean it's it, you know you can see them trying to trying to sort that out and in the meantime though what you have is you have people shopping abroad yeah so and they're, they're that... always going find what what they want, and I think it, yeah. for, for those who are thinking, well, I'm you know this is nothing to do with me. I think I, I just like to bring this uh, discussion that because I think you're absolutely right that it's a societal issue. It's not just mm. about the the law and what they're struggling with. So when people are going through a divorce, um, I'm I find this, and I'm sure you do as well, that they have assumptions about the legal system. Um, so they're very quick to blame lawyers if things don't work out. And even I'm mm. explaining to them, well, hang on, they're part of a what is actually a very toxic family law system. 
and mm, and of course that f- toxic family law system was toxic for longer than it needed to be i mean it still has many issues <laughs> but yes, getting many. rid of, of you know having no fault divorce definitely was a step in the right direction but that was wasn't the law law slowing that down that was governments and society um so the 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 answer i think is that you you can try to make these things work but you're never probably going to fully succeed so the answer to me is quite simple is that individuals need to take responsibility for that process themselves and use law yes. to to kind of qualify that so for example you're getting a divorce you discuss the finances with your mediator you and you turn that into a legally binding consent order however i believe that that's not how it works um when you are in, in the situation you could sit down as a couple with your surrogate you could discuss it with a mediator you come through all the different options you could write it all up beautifully but um am i right in thinking that you cannot make that legally binding prior to the birth of the child yeah in terms of the end outcome of, of having a child I mean, your child through the process of surrogacy that requires the parental order at the end and and that is that that is difficult but i i, I would uh, as I said, I do understand some of the reasons for that difficulty, but I think it's, I mean, I know this is broadening it out and probably more political uh, than we'd like, and I say this coming from no particular angle, but it, I think it's the same sort of problem we face in the displacement you see in the um, healthcare sort of sector, where we, we seem to have a moral ambiguity when it comes to uh, taking nurses from certain countries um, and we have the same moral ambiguity when it comes to surrogacy abroad in many ways. And I think that tells you that there's something wrong and something needs addressing. Um, and so I think whatever the future of surrogacy is, I think there's a real need for it. You know, uh, fertility rates are dropping, birth rates are dropping. We're entering into sort of problems that society can have to deal with on an economic basis, they've got to fix this, you know, but then sometimes you've just got to fix it and then, you know, it won't be perfect, but just get on with it and do something. But so, so you're, you're absolutely right um, uh, about that. And I just want to pick up a, a little bit also on, on uh, you mentioned uh, the, the toxic system uh, in, in the broader sense. And I want to echo that because i think that is a part of the same problem actually um the 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 family courts the family law in its broadest sense should be a a service industry uh, you know or should be akin to a service industry and i think it's i understand why and of course you know it would be naive to say that we don't have genuinely intractable complex disputes i've dealt with international child abduction cases so i know that there are cases where you have to have recourse to something which is um external and uh, frightening and theatrical um but generally speaking, I don't think the adversarial system that we have for day-to-day divorces and worse still children serves us well. I think it's too expensive, uh, so it's underfunded, the, the huge delays. I think, the, the, honestly, I think the, the quality of the product is poor if you're putting it in commercial, um, uh, commercial what, terms. What, what upsets me most when I'm uh, described to people, you, you, I, peace, um, something I talked about in my TEDx, is, is it, you need boundaries. Mm. 
good piece. You can't. Um, it's it's a very strong position to want to take responsibility and be um, and finding a better way to do something. But if you boundary of the of the law is that you, you say I, I want to um, I want you to provide the financial information so we can have a proper discussion about that, and then you have a court you have to get a court order to get them to do it. But that takes ages, costs you money and time, and then they just ignore it. And then you've got to get another yeah. court order to tell them to obey that court order. For oh, me, that's, honestly, that's, trying that's to explain to people... It, it all falls I, apart because that, you know, it's like having the, the, the bouncer on the door who just runs away as soon as anyone t- turns up in a in that's, that's, that's a very good, a very good analogy because that's exactly what it's like. Because, you know, you take your clients through, as I say, the theatre of court, which is very old-fashioned, really. I know we don't wear cloaks and wigs although some of us would like to reintroduce the wig they essentially uh, you then get the order particularly in children I mean perhaps specifically in children to find that it's really not worth the paper it's written on in many cases you know it's uh, because the the problem fundamentally I think is one of delay it's innate in some areas of justice that it has to be delivered swiftly if it is to be delivered at all. And if at the moment you delay, because it's focused from the child's welfare point of view, they settle into a, re- a, a regime, they settle into social norms, you know, all of those things. The court then come back to it six, 12 months later, trying to fix the breach to find that everything's moved, all the pieces have moved. And this becomes an almost intractable problem. So the first thing I think it would change is speed. It has to be, in certain areas, it has to be something which, if it's going to be done at all, it needs to be done quickly. Otherwise, I do think everyone's wasting their time and money to a great extent. And and encourages people to abduct a child and to to leave the country. Unfortunately, in some cases, that, I hate, I... I hate to say this, but for their point of view, might mm. seem the best option. Uh, I have to say, uh, I find child abduction horrific, not just because of, I was at a, a family's a father's um, meeting about this recently, and, and and what's most disturbing is, as you say, everything takes so long. And even when mm. the parent who's had the child abducted from them does all the right things and actually is legally in the right, if the other country, maybe Germany, for example, or any other country, can just not enforce it. So it's it's mm. internationally, uh, we, we've got a, a lack of discussion around this. So and yes. I always like to be solution focused. So um, I still think it is worth for everyone to sit down, ideally with a trained mediator or some to, and talk things through, um, which is why prenups are so important but in a different context to just the law. So I, I uh, teased you earlier, said I'd love to say something about that, and I think this is a good time to do it. My, my yes. vision is that if you're going to get married or um, have um, you know, have children in a more sort of complex, extended family way, whatever it is, you do need to be able to, to talk about money. 
because uh, yes. I didn't do this. I was frightened to talk about money and I paid a high price for that. And because if you people go, oh, it's not romantic, but but it's not romantic, oh, yes. <laughs> the outflow. And, and also, if you can't talk about money and the future, you're going to spend, the, you know, in a relationship in one way or another with these people for the rest of your life. Mm. So you should be able to do that. Um, so I believe people should have a, a life plan. So you talk about work with all the um, sort of life, maybe even work with a life coach to talk about the future, where you're going to retire, all the beautiful things. And then you have mm. two what ifs. One of them is what if one of us dies? Well, people don't have a problem having a will, do they? And then I, I have terrible number skills. So I don't know if the statistic is true, but I'm sure it might not be far off. I worked out once you're about seven times more likely to leave your relationship alive than dead. So, which you think about it, most people get divorced, they don't die. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, why would, so why would you not have an agreement mm, like yeah. a will? Because what if one of us ends up in a you know, uh, yeah. nervous breakdown and there's mental illness, addiction, there's lots of reasons uh, that, that relationships end. It, it's, it's not something you can actually control. Um, which I yeah. think is is a big misconception of people I, often think, oh, I can control this. So yeah, your thoughts on that, I'd really appreciate. Oh yes, that. yeah. Well, it's um, it's an interesting area. So prenups are. Let's just look at that first of all, because there's so much, I've been a, I, I, I draft these things, and uh, there's a lot of confusion. But it's quite straightforward. Prenups are not legally binding. Full stop. What they are is they're highly informative. So what we're looking at that's a Radmack case where you know which was not actually the original case. A lot, a lot of cases have looked at this over the years and tried to give agency to couples to make decisions about their future. And the direction of travel is very much towards, you know, giving people the ability to determine what should happen. So that's the first thing. And in many countries, they have prenups that you have to sign you know, uh, one way or the other, you tick a box, you know, joint property, not joint property. It's very common in Europe, places like South Africa. You know, it's common. We don't have it. Um, um, so the Law Commission, again, that is a venerable institution, um, are pondering this. Uh, but in the meantime, everyone's trying to work out what to do. So I think they're a very good idea, just on the basis of your comment, Susie, and that is couples go into marriage i mean the whole thing the first thing that you get hit when you go into when you're getting married is the kind of right you know where's it going to be what's the venue going to be you know who's invited what's it going to look like dresses bridesmaids the whole thing is a massive sort of, a, you know, sort of theatrical uh expression of romance and uh, and uh, you know that sort of thing so um, there's no space and people hate talking about prenups when they're getting married. They often say exactly what you said. Well, that's not very, you know, I'm not taking that. What are you talking about? Just go get married. You know, this, is a, this, this is a lifetime thing. I'm more prosaic. I think your statistic is, in, is really interesting, but I'm much more prosaic than that. You know, I know that 50% of marriages more or less will end in divorce. So it's the equivalent of going into a casino and putting all your money on red or black. In, in, in statistical terms, that's that's it. You know, that's that's the reality. Everyone thinks they're exceptional. That's the fallacy. And so, you know, you, what are you going to do? Well, prenups are, um, are very odd, really, because when people come to see you for prenups, they're generally completely aligned. 
you know, we would like to get a prenup. Yeah. And then you say, you say, okay, fine. This is the law. And so we now need to go through disclosure process because obviously we want this out of the way before the wedding plans, you know, because you don't want to be doing this and trying to organize the caterers. So let's get this done out of the way, put it in a drawer somewhere. Hopefully you'll never look at it again. You start going through disclosure and then you say, right, so what are you both going to get? Imagine this marriage breaks down. Imagine you've got a couple of kids. What's going to happen? And I would say in about 25% of cases, cracks appear almost immediately as they both give totally different answers as to what they would regard as fair or about financial disclosure or about things that are a million miles away from the romance that they're swept up in. You know, and it's that sort of lightning bolt of reality, just bringing everything down. And so I'm, Henry, I'm you're feeling... ruining all these marriages. I know. Well, that's the thing. Um, or am I doing my bit to try and nudge that 50% north? Yeah, no, I, I, know, I, because... I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree. I, and I think, uh, you know, if, as I've often said, if you, if you can't have those conversations, mm. because you used to have them to some extent with the church, uh, I think the Catholic Church still do that, and I'm sure some others do, yes, where they at least yes. get the couple in and have a, and have a, a realistic talk about, you know, because yeah. sometimes people haven't even discussed whether they're going to have children or not. So uh, mm. I think the, the sort of fear of the lack of romance is just insane. <laughs> It's very funny, but it's not very helpful. <laughs> but this is the funny thing about family law, isn't it? So, so much of it is trying to lift the fog of delusion that surrounds the myths, uh, societal myths of relationships, and they immediately come into conflict, you know, because people want to believe in something. They want to, you know, they don't. You, you can pick up a book on the psychology or the, the science of, of pairing, you know, what happens in a relationship. You can be fully cognizant of the oxytocin, the different stages, you know, the, where nature uses all its skills to ensure the next generation. And you don't matter. That's the reality. You don't matter. The individual does not count in that equation. But trying to get people to be to practically look after their future selves is incredibly difficult. And, and you mentioned when, earlier sort of service-based and uh, yes. being more service-based, and I think that's a really, this is a really good example of that. I think the, I do, the more yeah. that the law is used to help people not be delusional and put some sensible things in place, or at least to have that discussion, even if it, you know, a lot of people say, oh, uh, what's the point if it's not legally binding? But it does yeah. have standing, doesn't it? So it's like in mediation, okay, if you go to court, uh, just uh, your mediation discussions go, can tend to go out the window. But that doesn't mean that you haven't had some really sensible, solid discussions. It doesn't mean you haven't made progress and also doesn't mean you need to go to court because you could always use an arbitrator where yeah, you could yeah. say, this is what yeah. we agreed on. We just want you to sort this bit out. So I... I I think wanted to draw you on to the LGBT plus relationships and separations because that mm. again um, it, it, it bring you know, it makes all these what I call extended um, families much more complex because yes. the law uh, I, I was reading what's the the mediation is changing a lot now but there with the law there's a sense of two parents but that's not true even if you've got um, 
you know, I've got a couple who were married, they had two children, and one of that couple leave and marry someone else of the same same mm. sex, and then they have children. I mean, these are extended families, and they can work extremely well, but they're complicated. So if you... Let's they say are complicated. Gosh, that's huge. From that's, the law. What, what kind of area? That's a huge area, Susie. That's huge. All right, but it's, 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 it's super interesting, I think. So, yes, the law is branching out, um, and... Uh, it's 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 having to accommodate, and it's probably that way around. Lots of different communities, lots of different needs, and you know you've seen you know in what I call recent years, the, the first of all civil partnerships. By the way, civil partnerships, the rights are exactly the same in terms of financial claims. Uh, now um, you've seen that sort of, and that really was a bit of a stopgap before gay and lesbian couples getting married, you know, that change came. Civil partnerships now very sort of pretty uh, limited, Uh, but you've got, you know, uh, anyone now can within reason get married um, as it should be across the community. So that's good. The complication then comes in, they are, you know, uh, those communities want to have the same rights, the same, want to have equality in terms of uh, children, parenting. And, but of course the, the terminology, the history of, 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 uh, of the law is comes from essentially a, a traditional heterosexual family unit. And in terms of the kind of post-industrial, the problem is I suppose you could say that that unit is the load-bearing unit in society. And that's why. Mm. And I just add in there, I think it's really interesting what you're saying, that, that the, uh, um, sorry to interrupt, but the... the it just occurred to me that we talk about this the heterosexual was the norm but to put it in context mm. i think it's fair to say that it was a norm because it was about property so women had no it was yes, male yes, males had yes, yeah, uh, the rights and that's why that structure was there it wasn't because of any in, genuine inherent morality because those males were no. having mistresses left right and center it was simply about um commerce really and and, yes. and capitalism yes. and and business yes. business and i'm, so, I'm saying pleased you said that yeah and in fact to, it, to mention that I think. it's incredibly important and in fact one, one thing i would say um from an anthropological point of view is that you know gay and lesbian relationships and what we would class as marriages go back hundreds if not thousands of years you know we are not particularly advanced and the the iteration of justice that we we sort of view historically is a uh, male-based property owning uh, structure which has morphed into or tried to morph into something uh, with uh, some semblance of modernity with varying degrees of success i couldn't agree with you more and i would stress that you know and one of the things that's quite interesting sometimes is to talk about is to talk about the history of marriages and, and divorce and the history of the peculiar iterations of justice that have that you know that you see and some of them very liberal from middle age you know middle from the middle ages some of them absolutely extraordinary but anyway you're you're right to say that we shouldn't regard ourselves as being um morally superior uh in any way in terms of our system or where we are currently um but we are kind of stumbling towards something uh, and I think that something is is trying to be more inclusive. And I think that's what's given rise to the growth in, you know, assisted reproduction, 
and uh, to go back to the beginning surrogacy and um i i think what i would say because i i knew i knew this from my own practice and it makes me quite sad actually that how many couples are you know uh as i said sorting this out in a very homespun way um because the law unfortunately cuts through their intentions when it meets dispute in a way that, that's unpredictable to them you know uh, liabilities arise for donor fathers who had altruistically tried to help their friends which is very common um uh, or the other way around you know unwitting partners uh become involved in a kind of throuple situation if i can use that appalling expression because they didn't understand the rights that would accrue you know to the to the child and the way the courts would give effect to that as you know various cases look at so what i would say to people is this that it's it's a, it's a great idea it's not not difficult to do but you know take advice not necessarily from a lawyer there's there's the there's all kinds of networks out there support networks but just get good information on it because it, it you know it's a long commitment and relationships do go wrong and when there are children involved it's very complicated and a world of pain you know you can have a world of pain so just be careful and actually that's something that mediation Susie would be perfect for you know you don't need uh, to do anything more than that but just take some advice and look at it and think about clinics because this is weird for people to to, to get their heads around but the way the law's framed if you have if you're if you have um assisted reproduction through a, a donor unknown donor in a clinic that's not only do you get the health checks for the donor which you don't get when you're doing this via amazon but you also get um absolute clarity on their being on who the parents are and the the donor's position not being involved uh, and so, uh, and I, you know, the the, the it, it's too complicated. I think probably to sensibly go through now. But there are there are three categories, and each of them has a different route in terms of your entitlement, your obligations, your liabilities, and that's whether you're known or unknown in terms of a donor, um, whether the recipient is married or in a civil partnership or just a relationship, and whether consents are given in certain situations and whether it's done at home or in a clinic and although that's only six individual factors they all relate to each other differently so you have a little slightly um, exponential uncertainty so just take some advice and and and, um, and you'll be okay but it's it's a lovely thing and uh, i think we're now seeing around two thousand assisted reproduction births every year probably slightly that's more amazing. than that and, and and that chart is going up and up and up, so we'll go. And, and it will because for fertility, we, we, there are, um, you know, it's dust on all counts seems to be going down, and people still want to have mm. children, quite rightly. Um, so, talking about the children there, um, this, tell me if you think I'm wrong on this, but I get the feeling that in, this is one area where, for all its clumpiness and lack of ability to actually enforce a lot of what it does, the legal system mm. is trying to put the children first, but. Would you agree with me that society has an issue about putting the children first? So I find this that right at the beginning with the um, anyone who 
uh, joins my secret divorce group, for example, get a free subscription to some amazing software called Detour Life. And what it is, um, and I got learned about that through the Amicable Divorce Network, and it's kind of a management system for the for the person going through divorce. But one of the first things they can do is got a template for a co-parenting plan. Mm. And I always go, yeah, put all your financial information in and all of that is all in one place. But please, please, please go through the co-parenting plan because time and again, people leave it till the end. And yeah, I say, mm. look, what you agree or disagree in in that plan will have financial implications. So surely you do want to do it first. But really what I'm wanting them to do is put the mm. child at the center of it because, yeah. uh, and I've talked to mediators who want to talk to the children, not at the same time as the parents, but independently yes. of them. And the parents will often... Uh, refuse yes they they, they say we yeah. know what the children want of course they don't because the children protect them yeah. and won't tell them yeah no i again i find myself in complete agreement it's the, obviously the the 89 children act which is the sort of the centerpiece of our uh, legislation and family courts when it comes to children uh puts children first you know ascertainable wishes and feelings of the child are at the center of everything you know so, but does that happen in practice well no not really because i think um, parents are in dispute tend to be proprietorial uh, too often, but it, but you know it's that it's that thing, isn't it, of of, of there being two realms in family law or fa of family sort of disputes. There's the there's the realm that you are subject to in terms of the law, the process, the inadequacies of the process, or the features of the process. And there's the second, which is the societal environment, your history, you know, social history. And both of those things sort of uniquely, I think, come to bear on this. And so that, I think that's what makes it so complicated because one of the things that's striking, and I'm sure you see this, Susie, is that people think that they're right. They, they know that they're right. And so they don't need to entertain a different viewpoint because it's really about persuading you that they're right. What needs to happen here is that you don't understand why they're right. And if they could just explain that, then everything would be okay. And if you don't understand it, then they'll find somebody who does. <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, and I do, yeah, again, I understand it. You know, we're designed to be highly protective towards children. We've got all kinds of, you know, uh, mechanisms that, that come into play to make us fierce when it comes to protecting our children. And I think, so, I think it, it is that, that, that is the, for me, it's a, Bit like the guilt. I think guilt is the biggest curse of everything. Guilt makes mm. people behave badly and, and, and often fuels anger, which is why often you'll get the, the parent who behaves the most obnoxiously is actually the one who, who did the deed. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, that's um, so true. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think with children, I think parents, it's so difficult to look at your children and think, oh my God, I could be doing this, this whole process could be harming them. That ironically, that they, they can't deal with that because so they feel guilty. And often that leads to them behaving so badly towards the other parent which of course yeah. makes it worse and I think we just culturally and I you know speak as a parent of three and I had to go on a steep learning curve myself so I'm no by no means innocent of not of not making all the mistakes that people make but um do you think that uh, rather than talking about prenups and legal documents that may or may not stand up in law though they can be a pretty good yeah, argument presumably mm. in court they do they're, they're an important addition oh, they are, to yeah, what was decided so they're yeah. a lot better going in without anything yeah, um absolutely do you think we, we need our co-parenting contracts 
we're yeah, and together. It, and they because it's mainly if we got the children that that the real issues and the long term uh, problems uh, come come through. Yeah, I get a couple of points there. First of all, just quickly skip back to the prenups. You're right. I mean, as I say, the direction of travel is 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 that the court will definitely try to give effect to an agreement where there's disclosure. It's been done not at the last minute, but you know, in anticipation with legal advice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yes, absolutely. That's a point well made. I think in terms of parenting agreements, uh, certainly I encourage everyone to have a donor agreement when it comes to assisted reproduction because. I mean, I've sat with people who have unraveled in front of me in terms of the expectation of the donor, the involvement of the donor. I, I, I you know, I've had people who've said, um, you know, to the surprise of the other party, well, I want the donor fully involved. I'd like them to be there at birthdays, Christmases. I'd like them to pop around whenever they like. And you can see the the the, the other parent just absolutely shocked hearing this for the first time thinking that they were going to be creating a, a so-called nuclear family and it would just be the three of them you know and everything was going to be fine and this was just a biological function and uh, you know and that you know, is confusing difficult so donor agreements yes that's extreme examples but i think more sensibly you know, what is everyone going what are the expectations of the donor what are the expectations of the of the of the, of the mother or the second parent what, what are their expectations because that is literally you you can't go into those agreements unless you're broadly aligned on those key principles because you're just creating a hell for everybody so so certainly in that situation i think when people divorce if there are young children i just think they're a very good idea i think they're good housekeeping you know even if couples get on i think they're, they're good I think it provides certainty for the children. And back in the day, Susie, maybe you'll remember those people used to stick things on the fridge, didn't they? You used to have those parenting charts that they stick on the fridge. Oh. And now everything's moved online. You know, you've got access on your phone and all that sort of thing. But yeah, I do. I think it's important from the child's point of view, going back to your point about the child being at the centre of everything, they could, they could, back in the day, go to the fridge and see where they were going to be and see what they were doing. And they could see when their holidays were. And... I always thought that was that was nice. It, it, it goes to that thing of agency, doesn't it? Which is so lacking in the family courts, you know, giving people yeah. agency. And I, I always give I give people a, a, a code for a, a free subscription to a, a co-parenting app, which means there's no excuse not to use it. Um, and and but also, yeah, write it up, put it on the fridge, put it on the wall, so that the child can see. Mm. And also, I think it helps then the other parent to perhaps respect it a little better because that just becomes what the family do um but they have a way of discussing and changing it online but what i was saying about a co-parenting contract is is to have that before you get married people are uncomfortable about the prenups i, I still think mm. they should have those discussions about money but at the very least yeah. have a discussion about are we going to have children how will we what will happen if we break up with the children what are the rules? And just think it through because it's people come to it and they don't even know that they're not supposed mm. to say horrible things about the other parent in the children, in front of the children. No, mm. they, 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 that bit hasn't hasn't been communicated. Yeah, it's actually, it's, I think what's interesting about that is that prenups don't usually uh, have anything to do with how to treat the children on adults. I mean, it's, it's, it's mad for me to say this, but I really only just thought that when you said it, because we, we well, do we should come up with groups. one, Henry. We should come up with yeah, a, definitely. a template. Yeah, definitely. Great idea. Yeah, yeah because so. they, they don't. This is really 
weird and sort of, I suppose, contractually dry and transactional that, you know, it's all to do with the money. And, yeah, and okay, you have, you know, departure points where you say, well, okay, we have one kid, we have two kids, you know, the money goes this way. <laughs> but yeah. no one ever says, who, what, yeah. what's going to happen? Isn't that weird? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's a good idea. That's a really interesting and, thought. And finally, thank you so much for your time. You've said we've talked about so many amazing oh, things. Oh, no, it's an absolute pleasure. I've totally enjoyed it. They deserve a show on their own, but I'd love to talk to you about private FDRs because this is something that people, I think there's a lot of confusion around. um, And I just want to qualify it by uh, often I'll encourage people to even avoid that if they can. um, No, you're right, because it's... Yeah, yeah, only to use it on the basis that one, the other parent might need to have some experience of going that route before they go, okay, let's go back to mediation. Um, well, which is why it's so yes. important to get the mediation in early, even if it's just to talk about a co-parenting plan you can't agree on, so that there's a yeah. trust built up with the mediator. Don't go in and start talking about the money, because if someone's yeah. never been, they don't know what it is. They they feel more sure about court in their mind than they do about mediation, which can seem quite square, scary to them. Mm, so, um, but if I however that, they end that's... up there, yeah. How, how okay, does it well, let's start court. Okay, good question. All right, so first of all, um, the private F, uh, financial dispute resolution in the Parliament's FDR, private FDR, is a feature of, the, of, of financial proceedings. So you must be in financial proceedings. You must have made an application. You know, I'm assuming uh, in the vast majority of cases that will result in an inability to agree, uh, a failure to disclose, something else but you're in the court process which is where where you don't want to be in my opinion so the way i would my enthusiasm for it is in that context is that you know it's a bit like the old joke i wouldn't start from here but if if you are starting from there then that is as close to adr as you're going to get in in an environment which is going to help you settle so why private FDR and why the emphasis on private FDR? Because you'll hear it a lot from lawyers um, and I, it is a little bit counterintuitive. So the reason why so many lawyers uh, support private FDR is because, frankly, the court-based FDRs are a pretty miserable experience. Court-based FDRs are where a judge not your trial judge, but another judge, will look at your case and will hear summary arguments and will give a view, broad brushed view of what the outcome might be. Will give cataclysmic uh, uh, you know, um, advice on the costs that you're both going to incur and through a mixture of fear and cajoling will try to get you to sign up to or enter into an either an agreement or some form of negotiation leading to an agreement. I think we all agree, no matter how I've phrased it, that is a good thing that before going to trial, there is a stop, there is an audit, there is a view given by someone other than your own lawyers, other than your husband or wife's lawyers, somebody who's independent coming in and saying, well, actually, I think this is what's going to happen. Why are you wasting your money? You're going to come up, not in front of me, but somebody very much like me, and they're going to do this in all probability. So, you know, there we are. The problem is that process only has buy-in 
if people think the judge has read the papers, if people think the judge has heard what they have to say, seen what they've written, you know, uh, they may come to, they may be able to live with the same outcome, but not if the judge has only had five minutes, hasn't read anything, is presented with a sort of a couple of summaries that, yeah, a little bit light on detail, and then comes up with a kind of, well, you know, I haven't, you know, I haven't seen everything, and maybe there's more, but, you know, on the basis of what I have seen, I think this is probably about right, but, you know, you've both got good lawyers, and, uh, you know, why don't you go outside and talk about it? The environment is horrible. Courts are generally miserable places. Any of your uh, viewers or listeners who had the misfortune of going into court will know it's a horrible place. You know, it's like a kind of rundown school building generally, uh, with a number of rooms uh, uh, fully fitted with graffiti, um, and uh, they, they uh, you know, you, you get called in like a schoolboy into the headmaster. It's all very sort of. Nerve-wracking. You can't adequately get away from the other the other party uh, because you're crammed together in a hot corridor. You're expected to negotiate in the same corridor more often than not, and it's just you know it's horrible, really horrible. I know. I hope I'm not over-egging it, Susie, but you know I think people ought to be aware, frankly. So and <clears throat> okay, let's just say, for, in the interest of balance, sometimes it's better than that. Some courts are quite nice. I'm thinking. Courts like Truro, which I, I used to enjoy quite a bit. It's a lovely, lovely court, won a design award. Uh, but, you know, they are mostly <laughs> pretty horrible. Um, so private FDR is, 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 is completely different from that. The principle is exactly the same, but you hire your judge. So you, you, you essentially pay for a judge for half a day or a day. They're, they're often actually judges who sit or, or barristers, or solicitors who sit as judges, they have a high degree of experience and they have plenty of time to read the papers. So you choose your forum. And that's important because you might get a district judge, deputy district judge, who's only just started, you know, who looks, from my perspective, very young. And, you know, it's the whole thing that, you know, you can go to somebody who's had 20 years experience, has just been doing that day in, day out, sits as a judge, the environment is very amenable. You know, you go to usually a, a fitted suite of rooms, which are air-conditioned, there's breakout spaces, you know, it's a sort of very civilized. There's time, you know, there's time to ruminate, to put forward arguments, to be heard. You know, it's that old thing about justice being seen to be done, isn't it? You know, you, you're not gonna have the buy-in unless you feel that your team has said everything that needs to be said. And then there's time if, the green shoots of a solution present themselves to nurture it, to work on it, to say, well, okay, let's, let's take this and see where we can go with it. Um, so private FDRs, in terms of the broad sweep of the court proceedings you are inevitably in, if you find yourself in that situation, are the best option for you. They have very high strike rates as well in terms of solutions. But I also make the, 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 the uh, parallel that they are as close to ADR as you're going to get. And that is, you know, that says something about the approaches you should think about taking. As Susie, you've said at the beginning, you know, you don't have to start with lawyers. 
and and I and also close to Adolf. But if you have managed to have even one mediation to talk about the kids, and Mm. before one of you stomped stomped off and said, "I don't want to do it this way," um, knowing that there is that safe space for someone who's impartial, that is, there is people don't realise this, do they? They can stop um, uh, and go and go. We'll go back to mediation Mm. now. Because a lot of people think once they've started yes. down the court route, no, nobody has the financial interest to tell them that, unfortunately, in the process. Yeah, so I'm that's always true. going, yes. at any point, they can change their mind. You can go, look, I'm open here. You can stand in court and say, I'm, I'm, I'm still happy to go back to mediation on this. Yes. Um, yeah. uh, and I always say, make it clear to the judge that you are really happy to, to resolve this. You're, you're not the yeah. one who's, who's, who's brought the other person. Yeah. And, and you know what, ju- yeah, judges yeah. are delighted to hear it. They really are. You know, they, they, most judges uh, are overworked, underpaid. You know, they want you to go into mediation. And also, I think, to be fair to the judiciary and the family courts, I think people know that it's not a great system. You know, everyone's doing their best, but I don't think it's... You know, it's a great system. The other point, and I think this is really important, is there is a convention in the family courts that you don't talk about money and children together. Mm. So in mediation, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Because I'm explaining yes. private FDR. It's all money. Mm. You, know, you don't know how many kids you can have, two dozen children, and I'm still just talking about money. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the family courts you're talking about. They may, you may say, well, obviously, I need a bigger budget or I need more bedrooms. But fundamentally, childhood is commoditized in that sense and converted into a maths issue for monetary division. Yeah. What we're not ever talking about is the interests of the children per se. That, that sits outside the court door or in separate proceedings if yeah. necessary. But in mediation, of course, you're not tied to any of those conventions, are you? So you can have a very holistic approach and, and you might find that you can, and as I said, did mediation, have been mediated, I haven't mediated recently, Susie, but because uh, my time is so limited, but one of the funny things about it was how you could step from different areas of family life and make progress you know, I don't know how it works, but something about the dynamic of it. But if you switch to children, one, one example is I think when you're talking about um, that, you know, he's saying you've got to sell the house because he wants his half the house. And I'm yeah. saying he it could be she. Obviously, it varies enormously these days. Um, but let's say he wants to sell the house. But in mediation, you talk about the children's school and where the children are and how far away if you sold the house, how far away you'd have to move because you won't actually have enough mm. money to live in that area. And then he's suddenly having to travel a long way because he doesn't want to be far from his work. So suddenly talking about the children may change. Yes, that's perspective. And that's yeah. and I think that's just one of many ways that it, it that's why it's such a vital process. And people talk about failed mediation. I go, there's no such thing. You've been mm. in you've put your position, you've had the opportunity to hear each other, which is the main, most important thing is to hear your other person and stop telling me what they think. I go, you, you don't know yeah. what they think, really. Yes. Go, go and yes. listen, let the mediation help you hear because you, will, you cannot find solutions if you don't do that. But going back to the FDRs, why hmm. would someone do go to an FDR and follow the court route when actually they could get uh, a choose exactly the same as the FDR judge probably also works as an arbitrator mm. choose an arbitrator 
who's dealing let's say with the finances or it could be with children mm. matters and they won't be there with all their barristers and all that part. it's going to be a lot mm. cheaper and yes, quicker yes. isn't it and so my question yes. is why yeah. would on what occasions would you say don't get an arbitrator use the fdr process or are there are there any reasons why you would ever need the FDR? yeah it's, you it's, could, it's, if you it's, could agree on the on the on the arbitrator yeah it's a great question um okay so the fundamental difference is to do with the function of an arbitration versus the function of, a, of, a, of an fdr private or otherwise the function of an fdr is to give guidance but it's non-binding so it's, it's to get a view very casually. So pe and the advantage to that, I mean, it's pretty marginal because I, 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 there's, there's a lot in what you say, but the advantage of, of that is that uh, the FDRs are privileged, completely privileged. So in legal term, but what that means is you can say whatever you like in terms of your negotiating strategy. You can be really lateral. You can say, well, what about if, you lived in the house for a few years and then we sold it or stuff that the court the trial judge might not do um and it can never be referred to again you know you can't go to trial and say yeah well hang on you said that we could so it enables people to have a, a huge amount of freedom in their expression to explore things and the judge doesn't choose the judge listens mm. and then sort of says well you know i like that in what you've said uh, but I also think you've got to think if you're going to do that, you're going to need the income to do it. And so maybe we could offset a bit of a pension here, or you know, maybe you want to think about that as a way through, or having a review in so many years' time, or secondary education. You know, you can have a very um, expansive discussion, but you can come away with it from it and think, well, I want to think about that. You know, and quite often people do. They say, "Well, yeah, that's great. So I think we've made some progress, but I just need to think it through and then go away and maybe take some advice from their financial advisor." And so, it, it's more of a sort of conditioning platform, you know, uh, where everyone goes in, someone just listens to everything, everyone's totally free, uh, and there it is. Whereas arbitration, obviously, is a very uh, an underused. Let's just get it right out there: underused um, option for people to cut through and uh, and get decisions on things that are difficult and i think um susie you you champion this uh very uh in innovative idea of of uh, a kind of a com a complex and more complex compound approach to sort of sorting things out with mediation things that you can sort out sort out things you can't you know you can have a more binary process to enable you know because otherwise what happens is you lose the benefits of the mediation because you may hit a sticking point so and that, I think, is a really interesting idea is to use arbitration uh, for what you might call targeted problems. Yeah, the bits uh, that you couldn't agree on. Mm. But it's really interesting to listen to you, Henry, because uh, you've added another layer to my strategies now because I think you described it uh, better than I've had anyone describe uh, the value of, of an FDR. So if people really can't, if you've got someone who's just not going to listen or participate in mediation, then the next best thing is yeah you apply for court but you aim you go for private fdr yes, and yes. you use that process to help the let's say the difficult party assuming there's only yeah. one there might be two to and really thing, think about these things and then they've still got that option if they can't mm, settle rather than go to court they could then say right they may have refined their arguments before they go perhaps use an arbitrator to give them the final 
deal if they want things to yeah, yeah happen a bit absolutely more. and in fact picking up and enthusing about your potential uh, settlement model you don't have to go through a first appointment you know, the, you know the three-stage court process where you have the first appointment the fdr trial god forbid you know they're the, they're the things the process does allow the family proceeding was allows for compression so that you could use a similar model if you didn't want to use arbitration for instance in your mediation strategy you could potentially design a system that short-circuited got you straight to a private fdr and you could go through you'd have to go through the disclosure route i suppose but you know, there are ways that you could potentially think imaginatively about using bits of the system. Um, but, you know, I mean, yeah. this, that, you know, you're, that's, you're, that's really you know. interesting. And, but disclosure is key. And that's one of the things for the, the detail mm. life, which uh, people who, who, who join my uh, support group, they get automatically. But also anyone who uses the any of the professionals from the um, amicable divorce um, network uh, it, it's there for them to use and what the first thing is is like if I'm talking to someone on an initial conversation before I introduce them to the financial planner or the mediators or, or the, for legal advice I can get them they can put uh, we can get a lot of information into there and I can send their homework is to go away and start filling in they can even pull in their bank statements they can put all the yeah. documents all in one place so that and then they can invite the other collaborators in so the mediator sees what the lawyers see. not obviously not the other half because I rarely would it be lovely <laughs> to have yes. them in as well <laughs> but but and actually it is designed to do that and I'm like mm, I yes. don't think we're going to do that very often <laughs> it's going to stay one person but yeah. Uh, but yeah so so get it I think the key thing is to get that information in first the financial get people thinking about uh, putting forward proposals I think that's the key thing which they yeah. tend not yeah. to do they just come to you and go how do we split it? And uh, and suddenly you've got to, you know, work it out. I mean, do you just out of interest? I've got two last questions for you. What do yeah. you um, do? You send people off to talk to financial plans because most, uh, or do you yes. try and work it out? I've had lawyers, top no, lawyers, tell me that we do. They say we do that ourselves. We have the software, no, no, and I'm like, okay. No, 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 <laughs> don't, don't do it, don't do it. No, because you just don't. I mean, I've got. I, yeah, I can't talk about particular cases, but I just say that you know that I've got ongoing cases now where. The, you, you know, I don't understand, uh, you know, the relationship between guilt rates and annuity rates and whether you're better off. You know, I don't know. I mean, I would it's hate to take advice. It's a long-term cash from... flow. Yeah, it's long-term cash flow forecasting. Yeah, I do. That's the Honestly, key part. I would. It's it is, skill, absolutely. It? it is. It's an absolute skill. It'd be arrogant of me. And, I, and actually, I wouldn't take advice from myself on it, you know, to be fair. I mean, I, <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> it's, everyone it's has not their skills of... and they should, yeah, and, and work together Yeah, stick to it. So, no, I couldn't yeah. agree more. And I think it's the same with pay. You would never think of, you know, uh, using a lawyer to, to work out what the division of the pension is. You'd use an actuary, you know, because... But they, but they do that at the end of the process, not at the beginning. And I think that's the key thing for me, mm. is to get all of that, uh, admin done right up front and then right it allows the for everything we've talked yeah. about to to flow yeah. um, or, but my last question is are you going to train or have you because uh, you, you're a collaborative lawyer you keep people out of court with collaborative law yes. um, and people who watch this show amongst the very few who know what that means because <laughs> it's oh, good. not very it's well nice to, it's nice to be amongst friends <laughs> in that case uh, um, and you're a mediator but are you going to train as an arbitrator do you know what, Susie? I'd love to say yes to that, but I am coming to the end of my, you know, uh, career really in the law rather than the the, the, the beginning. I, you know, and I, I've uh, hopefully got a few years left, but I think I'm going to leave that to other, probably better, 
uh, lawyers to take on, um, and I will stay with what I know. Um, but uh, you know, I wish them. I think it's the future. I think what you're doing is the future, and I think there there will be a a sea change eventually into the way uh, this this area of law is. And it's 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 a huge regret to be looking back over thirty years that this, that the this, the family courts have presided over such suffering, really. And what do you see your role is going to be going forward? Are you going to, I know some lawyers just, just do mediation and stop doing the courts, or will you, or are you just going to go and take up t- being a novelist? No, I honestly don't think anyone would want to read my novels, uh, Susie, <laughs> but I think uh, probably a little bit of gardening or something like that, but I'm not, I, I would hesitate, people listening to this, obviously. I have no plans yet, but I just think at this stage, you know, I'm not saying you can't, teach an old dog new tricks, but maybe there'll be uh, uh, younger, oh no, forget the dog analogy, the people who are yeah. <laughs> younger who can bring more over a longer period of time than someone like me. I've maybe got you know, five, five, uh, five years or so. And, uh, you know, I, I think it takes a while to learn your craft in reality. You know, it did with mediation, it did with collaboration, it did with law, you know, I, I, I I apologize to my clients for the first five years of my practice, probably, because <laughs> it, it does take a little while. And so to be fair to people, it probably isn't the time for me, I would think. I'll leave that so hopefully, to hopefully you stay what you are doing for as long as possible. But uh, oh, so Thank you very much. Is, uh, thank good, you. Good, what I call the right kind of lawyers are much needed. Thank you so yeah. much, um, Henry. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've enjoyed it. I've probably spoken far too much, but... No, no, it's been amazing. Thank you so much. And, uh, I'll, I look forward to uh, when uh, anyone watching now, hopefully by the time you see this, there'll be very shortly, if not already, links um, to uh, uh, Crisp & Co and anything else that Henry thinks you should be taking a look at. Bye for now, <laughs> Thank Henry. You. All right, take care. Bye-bye.